Good morning, church. Do you care to help me grab that, that thing? I don't know what the thing is with the Bob Barker mic. I was tempted to preach from the Bob Barker mic the whole time, but you all probably think like this is the price is right and someone's going to win a prize this morning. There's no prizes this morning. We don't have free cars. I'm sorry, but you can get coffee in the lobby and brunch afterwards. So. Um, I'm Michael Farmer. We just want to uh, take a minute to dismiss Res Kids. Res Kids, you guys are dismissed to head on upstairs. Thank you, Mr. Jason. Also, if the ushers want to come out, we're going to go ahead and start taking up our tithe and our offering. Well, I am not Mason Ballard, um, as evident. I can't wear the earpiece, as he does so eloquently. Sometimes I look, and it's like wedged into his beard, so it's like tucked in there, like a little baby bird in the nest. I'm like, I'm not that talented. It freaks me out a little bit, and I have to like rock a real microphone when I'm up here. But um, we're thankful for the opportunity we have here to come to Resurrection. Um, as Jason mentioned, um, Resurrection Church will be moving downtown to the Capitol Theater, which has been an awesome experience. Um, if you have never been to one of the Capitol Theater shows, me and Nick can tell you it is the most pleasurable thing you, have, uh, you will ever experience in your lifetime. If I'm not wrong in this, I think we received 20 tickets for every show that happened. So I want you guys to take the time to go and to be a volunteer. There was a show last Saturday. We thought it was going to be a concert. It turned out by being a play. These people came in a 55 passenger bus, rolled like 20 deep. They had earpieces in. I thought President like Trump was in the building. They were all over the place. They're like, she's coming in right now. And I'm like, who's coming in? What's happening right now? I'm like, I thought this was was a concert and it was a play and then I learned so much from this play that I probably shouldn't have learned and it was hilarious because at the end of it all the priestess or the lady who's over it she's like we're gonna have church I'm like no it is 9 20 the contract says we should be out of here by 9 30 so me and Nick are here just like what's going on right now she gets up she's like I'm gonna get on the drums she starts playing the drums and killing it I didn't think she could keep a beat and I was like I don't know what's happening right now but if you have snapchat I think that you all should get connected with us so you can see the stories and things that happen with us in life but it was hilarious, but it's, I'm thankful for the opportunity for us to be able to move to the Capitol Theater and also to continue to work here. If you don't know, uh, three years ago, we had a vision of having a community center and a church here. And um, I'm very humble, just the opportunity to, I'm about to cry, Lord, y'all about to make me cry. <laughs> um, I'm humbled by the opportunity that we've been blessed to be able to work in this city and to care for this city. And we want to see it revitalized. Um, I'm excited for the opportunities that we've been here for the last three years to rehab a center, to be a church, but a community center, but to see kids come here, to have a safe place to be every single day, but to have a church that commits to say, hey, listen, I'm going to invest in the city and we're going to plant you here, but we're not leaving you here because we've always had a heart to see our city grow. And I'm always encouraged them. We went to a conference this, this week for church planners, and we hear all these church planners, and they're talking about, we're in a CrossFit gym, and, you know, we're going to be in this big building. We're going to have, you know, 2,500,000 people. And I'm like, I just want to be in my community, and I want to work with the people within a four-block radius. And most churches wouldn't commit to say, hey, listen, that's a great vision. They want to say, we want numbers. We want to see, we want to see offerings. We want to see tithes. They say, no, we want you to be in the city because we are for the city and we care about our city. And I'm thankful for that. And one thing um, with our sermon text is I believe firmly that our church lives out this Mark 12, 28, 34 by loving God and loving our neighbors. 
And I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful to be a part of this and to continuing the work that we're going to be doing here in the community. Um, I don't think we say it enough through the appreciation that we have for Pastor Mason and Pastor Nick and our deacons for the work that they've done. I know Nick was Saturday night. I don't know. He was at a resort then came, you know, doing the conference, came to do this thing. And we were up here Sunday morning and he just graduated. He's Dr. Um, you know, Dr. Quinn, medicine man now. He's a nurse anesthesiologist, so he can put you under after service. You know, he's going to lay holy hands on you. <laughs> but, um, I mean, they're thankful for this. We are people who have real careers and jobs. Jason is at the Capitol Theater every day doing everything that's in there. He keeps it from exploding every day. It's stuff that happens he has to do. And Mason is all over the place teaching and preaching and, you know, working with this. And it's all about a group effort. So we're thankful for the opportunity that we have and humble to be a part of this in our church. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be diving right into Mark 12. And um, to preface what's going on in here, if we remember that Jesus came in, he had his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he came to the temple and he cleared the temple from everyone who was doing incorrect teaching and the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's in there teaching in the temple. So he's teaching in the temple, and when we read these verses, we think, man, this is like the easiest thing. We know what God's commandments are. We know what it is. He told us to love God and to love our neighbors. But at the time, as as it says in here in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up to him, up to them, disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. Jesus is in the temple, and he's getting drilled with questions. These are people who, may not, who don't believe in Jesus Christ. They believe he's a heretic. They don't believe in what he's standing in. And he's getting drilled with these answers. And Jesus is coming back to them with the word of God over and over and over. He just got drilled with a question. He said, if there is a husband and the husband dies and the wife, and it says that in the law that the, the brother should take the wife. And then if that brother dies, the other brother should take the wife. And the brother dies, it's like seven deep. Who's going to be, the, uh, who's gonna, who will the wife be married to in heaven? And Jesus is probably sitting there just like, what is wrong with y'all people? It reminds me of my kids, like we're, we're very fresh in faith, so they ask me questions all the time. We've been going through the Beatitudes in Matthew, and I'm like, we're talking about not putting hands on people and turning the other cheek, and they'll be like, now listen, Mr. Farmer, okay? What if somebody slaps your mama, okay, and it's the third Tuesday, and you just had a haircut, and you know your hands is fresh with baby powder. Do you fight back? And I'm like, what? I'm like, what? I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And I'm like, commonality says turn the other cheek. But they've complicated the law so much that they argue over what God's word says. In our our world right now, we argue over common things in the law when Jesus is telling us, hey, listen, love God, love your neighbor, and everything else will come into fruition by following those two laws. But we can get so caught up in the logistics and and understanding and and trying to understand the, the word of the law when we don't understand loving God will fulfill everything in our lives. So... He's coming up, and one of, these, one of the scribes, who was like a lawyer of the Pharisees, comes up, and he's asked, he perceives that Jesus answered his question well. And he asks him the question, he goes, he says, he says, and seeing he answered them well, he asked Jesus, he says, which commandment is the most important of them all? So there's 613 laws that were made in the Old Testament. Of those laws, there were 365 that were negative, 248 that were positive. I couldn't imagine keeping track of all of those laws. And there were people that would, dis- that would argue over which laws were the greatest. So this isn't just like, a, oh, just, this is just a common question. No, there are people who were banking their faith on which laws were the greatest. So he comes to them trying to trip Jesus up. And he asks this question. And Jesus answers him. In verse 29, he says, The most important law is, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And in verse 29, I'm going to repeat that. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And right now he's kicking it back to the Old Testament. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and 4 when Moses is giving the commandments. And Jesus is saying this, the Lord is one. He's establishing this as a monotheistic faith. We don't put our faith in multiple gods. And as we can attest today, I tell my kids all the time, what do you build your foundation on in life? What gods are you following in life? If I say I'm a Christian and I say if I follow God, I've got to put my faith truly in God and what Jesus Christ says. My foundation cannot be shaky because James tells us if I come to God and I ask for wisdom and if I'm asking in faith, I cannot be double-minded because I cannot receive anything from God. And many of us sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, when I ask God for something and I say I have faith in God, I many a times will go to my best friend or I go to the gospel of Drizzy Drake or I go to the gospel of Cardi B or I go to the gospel of, you know, all these popular people who sometimes feel as though they have answers for us through a popular culture in life. We're guilty of that. We'd be in there like, man, my boyfriend just broke up with me. Cardi B says I got red bottoms. I'm just going ham on somebody right now. And the thing is, we already have the word of God. And if God is our God, God is our ruler of our lives, do we trust him enough to truly put our faith in him and him alone? Or do we put people on the pedestals to make them the God of our lives? Many times we say, so-and-so made me do something. The only person that can make me do anything is when I put them in a place where they have authority and they have been established over my life to give them authority to make me do something. The only person that I have who I've given authority in my life when I become a Christian is Jesus Christ and God who commands my life. So he's starting off by saying, number one is this, God is our Lord, God is number one in every single thing that we do. He's teaching this in the temple. You would think this would be common knowledge, but these Pharisees and these Sadducees are so consumed with every other law that they do not understand and recognize that this is the first thing that should come first in our lives. As we continue on, he says this in verse 30. He's continuing on by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 9. He says this, love the Lord with your, I'm sorry, in verse, in verse 30, he says this, he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength. And if you were like me, and you have went out, and you have watched the Avengers movie, I started thinking, I was like, God, he is building an infinity gauntlet right now, and he's putting all the stones in here so we can take over the devil. If you, none of y'all like Marvel fans? Y'all are just like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> he's telling, he's giving them all of these, these things in your life that we have to give over to God. And he's saying these things because there's power in what we're giving over to God in our lives and all of our aspects. He's saying it's our heart where our emotions come from. He's saying it's our soul. Our soul is our being, everything that we have. He's saying then it's our mind also, the cognitive thoughts that we have, the things that we think, the strength of what we have our knowledge in. And he's saying our strength, all of these things have to be given unto God. This is the greatest commandment that God is giving. He's saying, I am number one. And also love me with all of these components, all of these facets of our lives. Because if we do not do it with all the facets of our lives, we can quickly give ourselves over to the enemy for areas in our lives. And we truly do not love and follow after God. This is teaching that he's teaching the Pharisees and Sadducees. It amazes me that these are people who are teachers of the law and they cannot get it right. And it reminds me every single day that I've got to humble myself to remember this. God has got to be number one in my life, in every area of my life. When I wake up in the morning, when I pray to God, when I speak to God, I can't do this on my own. If Jesus Christ is teaching this to our teachers 
And he's emphasizing how important that is. How much more is it important for me to be able to say, I've got to recognize that every day I've got to remember that God is number one in my life and live out that commandment. But number two, look at all areas of my life and understand that I've got to love God in all of these areas and every single thing that I do and every aspect of my life. So with all of my facets and all of my constitutions, I have got to love God and continue with that. But Jesus then, he adds something on there. He says, oh, part two, guys, you didn't know it was coming. He tells them this in verse 31. The second is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these two. Understand that number one, God is the Lord over our life. And he is also the number one thing that we should love with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Number two is loving our neighbor. And I love the fact that our church gets that. You would think you were crazy. We went to this conference and we're talking about all these church planners and what they're wanting to do. There's people from Ohio. There's people from um, Jacksonville, Miami. And we're from little old Charleston. They're just like, oh, what do y'all do out there? I'm just like, we preach the gospel and we love people. What do y'all do? I got very offended and offensive about this. Lauren can attest that when you start to talk and question about why you do what you do, I get kind of a, a Romans 831 mentality that says, if God be for me, who can be against me? So I, I get excited, probably a little more excited than I should have been about this preaching and teaching all these people are talking about having these mega churches and they're talking about wanting to build this this guy was talking about i'm in a crossfit gym and i fight for jesus i'm like chill dude calm down okay okay you're swole over here but i'm like and i'm I'm telling them like the only thing that i know to do is to do this is to love god and to love my neighborhood that that's all i know to do and in encompassing and understanding that if I love God and I love my neighborhood, every single thing else will fall into alignment. The church gets so focused upon what the outward appearance looks like, the attractional appearance, what it should look like, what worship should sound like. And they are great for us to invest in those things. But if you lose the heart of understanding that first and foremost, God is our savior. God has given us the way that we have been redeemed from sin and that we are to live in relationship with him and understanding that every single aspect of my life and my identity is found in loving God. If we lose that and lose the fact that we should love our neighbors, then we're just another church on the corner that's attractional. If we say that the world around us is crumbling, and I say I love God, but I don't love my neighbors, and I don't provide a place for my kids to have an after-school program, or my schools are failing, and I see that there is no housing, and then see that the economy around me is crumbling, me as a Christian, can I really say that I love God? One of the greatest things I was excited about, they were asking, how do you plan on planning your church? I said, listen, our church has been blessed enough that we received a free building, but they also invested in the middle of the hood. Let's be honest. We are in an area that says we are the highest crime area in Charleston, next to the the lowest performing school in Charleston. You would be crazy to say, I want to plant a church there. And that's what we went and told these people with an attitude. (laughs) And they're looking at me sideways. I was like, well, are you prepared for success? I'm like, we are very prepared for success because I understand that my heart loves Jesus and my heart loves the community. And if, and if all I want to do is reach this area around me, God is going to be with us and help us to succeed in that area. Most people will look at you like you're crazy to say that. But I, we love our neighbors and we love our community. 
I mean, even one of the best parts was they were like, how are you going to do they able to do this financially? How do you think it's going to affect the area? I'm like, listen, we are a church that says this. We took an abandoned building of a church that wasn't doing anything. We already rehabbed it to be able to put social services in the building to provide for the community, providing places for kids to be, providing health and food classes. We are providing something that encompasses the whole neighborhood and every single thing that we do. So in loving God, what you start to do is look at how can I love my neighbors? How can I meet the need of my neighbors? How can I say, how can I leverage what I have for the kingdom of God to be able to help those people? There's got to be a place where we start to take joy in that. And not only taking joy in that, we seek out purposely to say, how do I help my neighbors in my community? Every person in here, we may not be able to be here every single day. But we also know, hey, listen, I'm a teacher in my community. I can work to help my kids. I'm a, I'm a doctor in my community. I can work to help those people specifically around me. How do we leverage the word of the gospel in our lives to be able to love our neighbors? And Jesus is teaching this to the scribes. And he's telling them, this is how we get to the kingdom of God. So as we continue on, and in verse 31, as I was researching this, I've got, I went to a conference and I got all these commentaries, so I felt like I was like a theological god and stuff like that. I'm like reading all these things in depth. When I started to read through this in verse 31, he's taking this specifically from Leviticus 19 and 18, where he's giving them the charge to love your neighbors as yourself, taking delight in meeting the needs for the others of self. And I was reading through this, and I'll touch on this for a moment. The wording in there says, as yourself, really indicates that i got to love myself before I can truly love my neighbors. I've got to have a true understanding of how much God loves me and the value that I have to have in myself and understanding what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ meant for me personally before I can go out into my neighborhoods and love other people. It means that we have got to cultivate um, self-worth in ourselves. So many of us, we can get down by our lives and the things that we're doing and the sin that we may have, in, but we come to church to be uplifted and understand who our identity is in Jesus Christ and God. And the more that we grow in understanding our self-worth, we, we start to prove the need that we've got to cultivate positive self-image. And, and this is something that's been really striving in my heart is understanding that my self-worth then becomes self-discipline. If I have self-worth for myself, and I understand how much I am loved, and I care about myself, I feed myself, I clothe myself, I make sure I'm taken care of. I understand the value in myself, which then can start to make myself start to have a self-discipline to care about our neighbors, because we can all testify, it is not always easy to care about your neighbors. I had a neighbor kid of mine who comes here to Undefeated. I have no idea why in the world. He was playing basketball in my house. I'm like, cool, I love you death. We live four blocks this way. I, we go leave to go to Target. We do it every Saturday. They're going to testify. We always there buying up everything. We are supporting little Kent's college fund by the amount of money that we spend at Target every week. We come home and my wife is like, why is the light glowing in the basement? Why does it look like the glass is broken out of my window? What in the world happened? And one of my neighbor kids kicked out the window of my basement window. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I'm like, why would they do that? And it's like, and my kid's like, Mr. Farmer, I don't even know why he did it, man. He just walked up to your window and was just like, bow, bow, start kicking the window out. And I'm like, why would you do this? What's going on, brother? I'm like, why? So easily I can get angry at that situation and understanding being like, man, because listen, this one window is costing me. How much is it going to cost us? For one, 1200 You didn't tell me that. I'm just messing <laughs> So this one window was going to cost us, what, 300-something, four, I don't even know. The cheapest window was going to be like two-something, okay? I was like, cool, we can knock that bad boy out. Bam, I just won't eat for a week. 
And it turned into, we got to replace all the windows in, in the side of it. And I was just like, Joe, I was like, what in the world? Why would we do this? And in my anger and understanding, I'm thinking, I'm like, this is my neighbor. I've got to love him and give him the grace that I've received in life. I've got to understand that he's a young man. He was remorseful. He came to my house after Sunday, just not going everywhere. I'm so sorry, Mr. Farmer. I don't even know why I did it. And I could be so angry and so upset with this young man. But I said, I've, got to, I've been given grace, so I've got to receive the grace and give it back to this person. Loving my neighbor means that I've got to make allowances for other people's faults also in our community in the way that we love people. So I've got to understand that, listen, the only reason I knew that I had self-worth is because somebody had given me grace in a situation like that before. So I've got to be able to value that young man for the mistake he made to be able to give him grace and also show him self-worth. He's going to be mowing a lot of grass this summer. I don't think that you're going to get off, you know, without doing anything. But it's showing that self-worth and that self-value and knowing that you are loved. So Jesus continues on, and he's letting them know that through these two commandments— You fulfill the 613 commandments by living out the two laws. If you focus on living out these two laws, then all of the other 16 and 13 commandments will fall into place. And that's what we really got to focus on in life. They would argue about how would you be forgiven of sin? You had to kill the baby calf or or which person will be greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, focus on not overcomplicating the gospel. Focus on loving God and loving your neighbors, and loving your community, and everything else will fall into line. And I think, and I know, that's why we as a church have had success. We love our, we love our God, we love our neighbors, and we've seen the success that we've had. We're a very, very young church, and I went to this conference, I was just like, our pastor's 25, they're like, how old are you? I'm like 31, they're like, huh? And I'm like, listen, my pastor could probably out-preach anybody in this community and anybody out there because he has invested the time in the word and loving God, and he has also given us the commission to go out and to love our community. And we have humbly said, we're going to follow after him, and that's the only way that we've been able to do this work in this community, is by loving God and loving our neighbors. So Jesus continues on, and in verse 32 and 33, he says this, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other one besides him. And in verse 33, he says this, And to love him with all of your heart and all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than whole and burnt offering and sacrifices. We can go through the rhythm of coming to a church and reading the word and getting into giving our offering and giving to the community and stuff like that. But if we don't truly love God, then it's hollow. He is a teacher of the word, a Pharisee. He's supposed to be going against God and he's making the acknowledgement, Jesus, you're right. And and in this moment, Jesus says to him in the next verse in 34, and he says, And when Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, Far, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to answer him. Jesus is making the acknowledgement to the Pharisee, this teacher of the law who was supposed to be against him. He's acknowledging you were understanding, you were close to the kingdom of God. But he did not receive the kingdom of God. And when I read this, it it, it really made me kind of sad for the situation that the Pharisee was in and the scribe was in. And it says in the word, in some commentaries, it says that the scribe acknowledges Jesus is right. 
and that love for God and the labor is greater than giving these burnt sacrifices and going through the rhythms of life that we do and that they were living in. He understood that the true intent of God's law was to give our hearts obedience to God. And that's what it truly means to follow after God. But he didn't truly get it 100%. He didn't know, he didn't trust to follow after Jesus Christ. Church, there are many people who will do good things in our community. There's going to be many people who say, I live for God. There are many people who will love after God in one facet of their life. But it's when we truly say as a church and as a community that we give everything that we have to leverage to the work of the kingdom of God and loving God is when we truly will see the kingdom of God happen in our community. Church, the area around us is struggling. And I can't just say, I love you on Wednesdays and Sundays and Tuesdays in small groups. I've got to love God with all of my strength in my workplace. When that person around me looks at me sideways and says something that irks me, I've got to remember they are still my neighbor and I've got to put the bar on how I love them and treat them up to the bar of Jesus Christ who sacrificed everything for me and humbly said, if you believe unto me, I will give you eternal life and gives me the strength through his Holy Spirit to overcome and to love my neighbor. In those moments when there's somebody who's in need, who has hunger, who needs clothes, as I clothe myself and as I feed myself, do I say, do I love my neighbor enough to provide for that person when they are in need? When I see someone who's thirsty and hungry, as Jesus said, as you've done to the least, you have done to the greatest. As I do to those people in love in my community, I'm ultimately showing that I love God. So it circles around in itself. But the saddest part about this was that the Pharisee understood the word, he understood the law, and he, in that moment, understood that Jesus is teaching the greatest commandment. But he did not teach or did not understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the crux of it all. That's why Jesus replies and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And in the word, it says that the Pharisees stopped questioning him because they knew that they were about to lose someone. They knew they were about to lose their scribe and the lawyer of the word. And in life, we're, we're, we're influenced by so many outside beings and persons and things in our lives. We're influenced by the people around us. And I hate to think that in here that this man was so close to receiving God, but the people around him stopped questioning because they knew he was going to be close to receiving the fullness of who Jesus Christ really was in his understanding. What hinders us from really understanding who Jesus Christ really is? Because in this, it shouldn't have been dictated by what the other Pharisees were thinking and saying. But in the own mind of the scribe, it should be, who do I say God is? Who do I say Jesus Christ is? And how do I choose as an individually to serve underneath him? And then how do I choose to fellowship with other people who want to walk in the same way? Ben, if you all want to take communion, you all can go ahead and head on back as we start to close out our service here. In preparing for this text, I think it was one of those things I almost said, hey, I don't even want to preach this because I almost thought it would be too easy and that I would like preach and be like five minutes, we're out the door. Because we have the luxury now of living life as Christians and we understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he laid down for us. 
And I can be so easily to say, hey, listen, um, I can criticize the scribes, I can criticize the Sadducees, I can criticize all these people, the Sadducees, and say, man, they missed the mark because they didn't know who Jesus was. But the understanding of who Jesus is is that we have been received the law in the Old Testament. And in the same way as the Old Testament, they were given the law to love God and to love our neighbors. We can miss the mark on who Jesus Christ is if we don't really, truly adapt and understand what it means to love God and to love our neighbors. We can love God and go out into the community and not love our neighbors. And then we have also been not far from the kingdom of God because we don't truly encompass the fullness of the kingdom of God found in these two commands. I want to give encouragement more than anything else. Um, I love our church. I love our congregation. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to plant here, um, you know, in September. It's kind of scary, but at the same time, I'm excited about it. But I'm, I'm, faith, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm faithful to the call that we have to be able to continue to do this work in our community because I know that God has prepared us through the word that we've been taught. And the biggest thing for us is that we can get so caught up in this multiplication and moving from building to building, from place to place, over and over again. But we've got to remember the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor. And if we can stay in that pocket, we will continue to see our city risen. I don't think it's just a coincidence that we're called Resurrection Church and we're also going to be called Risen City Church. I about said Risen City Community Center. I don't even know what my name of my church is going to be, y'all. <laughs> But our goal has always been to see our city redeemed and resurrected from sin. And I know that we can do this collectively if we as a church continue to say we want to love God and love our neighbors. But the challenge comes in by saying, are we close to the kingdom of God or are we living as a part of God's kingdom? Are there things in our life when we read our confession it says there, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as we should. We're truly sorry, and we humbly repent. We come here week after week, and we say that. Is it just hollow words, or is it truly a place in our lives when we say, these are places that I have got to adjust in my life to truly experience the kingdom of God, in which Jesus has already given us the power, the resources, and the keys to the kingdom to see happen in our community. I get a little excited because I already know where God has brought me from, and that's encouragement every single day for me to continue to move forward. And I hope in our lives we're challenged with that every single day. So as we get ready to take communion, as we did confession earlier, this is a time when we as believers, those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, we go back to the tables and we remember the elements, the bread that was sacrificed for us, Christ's body for us, and the blood that was shed for the redemption of our sin. We do this every other week, but I don't take it lightly, and we don't take it lightly. So what we do ask is that if you are not a baptized professing Christian who believes in God, we ask you not to take of the elements. We ask you can walk back there, you can look, but we ask you can stay seated, we can say in prayer. But this is something that we do to profess the word of God in our lives and remembrance for the sacrifice that he gave us. But as we go back, let's remember what Christ has given unto us, his body and his blood, the sacraments for our sin. And remember that we are redeemed. So as you want, you all can start making your way back to take of communion. Let me bless it real quick, I'm sorry. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your, 
I'm thankful for your word that you have blessed us with. I'm thankful for Jesus being our redeemer and giving of himself so we can have eternal life through you. I pray that we remember these commandments that Jesus taught by putting you first and foremost as the only God of our lives and remembering to love you with every facet of our lives, Lord, but also to remember that we are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but as we take these sacraments, we remember the sacrifice that was given unto us, and we understand our self-worth and our self-value, that we weren't just an afterthought, but even in the beginning of creation, when we sinned, you still put a way for us to have atonement for our sin. And we see our value in the grand scope of the gospel. So I pray today as we go and take our communion that we remember our self-worth and our self-value. And we remember the sacrifices that you made for us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.